and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bobby Loveless. I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody. This is an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our listeners, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. We're going to read a thing, and then you, we're going to tell you what to read, and you read it, and we're going to talk about what we read, and you're going to listen to us talking about that. And so then you're going to say some about that. That's a hey, damn guys, you're going <laughs> to tell us all about what you're thinking about and then that's a book club because <laughs> we all are talking about it and we're going to talk about what you said about what we were talking about yeah about what we read <laughs> and i'm going to tell you what you're going to read again and then that's uh that's friendship and a book club awesome thank you so much yeah. And I want to mention our fundraiser that's currently going on that's benefiting Rain. And you can find all the details on our social media. If you check out our pinned post on Facebook and Twitter, and also you can go to our link tree on Instagram. And we have some great prizes up there. You know, we're giving away a set of Baltimore omnibuses, some signed Hellboy issues, as well as some really great Hellboy Universe back issues. I really got to shout out our listeners because, you know, since we did our last week's episode, Several listeners have come forward and said that they want to donate items as well to throw into the pool. Oh, wow. And I couldn't believe the generosity of all these people. And just like I said last week, I would never ask anyone to give up their stuff. I'm really thankful. You know, it boggles my mind that people want to chip in. So I think that's really great. I want to shout out Chris Rawl. Chris Rawl. Book club member. Yeah. Chris Rawl on Twitter contacted me, and he wants to donate issues one through five of Lobster Johnson, the Iron Prometheus. That's a great series. That's the very oh, first wow. lobster series. So that's basically issue one of the Lobster comic. And that's such a great series. I, I would love to come back someday and re-record that episode, because that's the one that came out sounding all crappy oh, right. or whatever. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, that one. <laughs> thank you so much, Chris, for your generosity. I also want to shout out Wes Mattis. Wes Mattis, book club member. <laughs> yeah, he's already helping me with a Baltimore omnibus. He's donating one of those. And then he came back and he says that he has another copy of the Hellboy 25 Years of Covers hardcover book still in the shrink wrap. So oh, he wants wow. to go ahead and donate that. That's an excellent book. I can't believe that he's going to throw that into the pile. So thank you so much, Wes. You're so generous with your donation. And I also got to give a big shout out to Corey Green. Corey Green. <laughs> Book club member. Yeah. Corey, this kind of blew me away. He wants to donate a Skeleton Crew replica of the Bog Roosh Nail. Oh, wow. Yeah, so oh, nice. these Skeleton Crew replicas are really awesome, and the Bogrush now is currently sold out on the Skeleton Crew website, so this is one of your only chances to get one without paying like an arm and a leg for it on the secondary market, so that's amazing, and as if that's not enough, he also wants to throw in a 5x8 Hellboy head sketch by Lawrence Campbell. Aww. Lawrence Campbell oh, somewhat wow. of a book Yeah. Can you believe that? So you could get some original art yeah, from Lawrence wow. Campbell. It's a Hellboy head sketch done in marker that Corey received. And, you know, if you follow Corey on Instagram, he's at cgreen159, C-G-R-E-E-N-E-159. He has an incredible collection of original art. You know, he meets a lot of these famous artists, and then he asks them to draw 
characters from the Hellboy universe. And I just want to reiterate that these are all unsolicited donations. Yeah. This is very generous, so really appreciate that. That's very thoughtful. Yeah, so these these guys all reached out to me independently and said they wanted to throw in for the cause. They thought it was a worthy cause and anything that they could do to help get more donations, and I just couldn't believe it, so... Thank you so much, Corey. I mean, we believe it because they're awesome and yeah. very, very nice. Yeah. But the community it's just has very, been amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, um, that's very sweet. Yeah, so thank you, Corey, Wes, and Chris. Hey, everyone. Big update on our fundraiser and giveaway for Rain. We're still going to be supporting them, and we're still going to do our giveaway, but we're not allowed to use GoFundMe for our giveaway. They have nixed our fundraiser. They said we can't use it for that purpose which is extremely frustrating to me personally because we used it for our last giveaway just fine and it's not like we're taking any of the money for ourselves or trying to promote the show. You know, we're trying to use our platform to raise donations for this organization. So we're going to have to do something a little different. And I know that this is a little bit of an extra step, but what I'm going to need you to do if you want to support our fundraiser is go ahead and donate to Rain. And then send us the receipt for your donation. You can send it to hellboybookclub at gmail.com. And I will keep track of the donations that way. If you've already donated to the GoFundMe, you should be receiving a refund. But in case you don't, I have already made a note of everybody who donated and their names. So hopefully we can do this right the second time around. So thank you guys so much for your continued patience with this. And I hope that you will support us by making a donation to rain. And so it's really simple. I'm going to post links to their donation page on our social media. You'll follow those links. You'll make the donation for each dollar that you donate will be one raffle ticket into our giveaway. And then I'm going to select a prize just like last time. And I'm going to keep track of all the donations, but you've got to send me the receipt for the donations at hellwaybookclub at gmail.com. Sorry for any inconvenience. We're going to get this done somehow. We're, we're not going to give up on supporting this cause. So thank you guys so much. Chris told me on Twitter, I started listening to your podcast early on and look forward to spending time with you damn guys every week. Your positive outlook and compassion are the perfect complement for discussing these somber, sometimes sad, and always entertaining Mignolaverse stories. Keep up the good work. Yeah, sometimes you're maybe oh, not in the... Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, sometimes you're not in the mood to read something that's kind of a... Maybe a kind of a bummer. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes you're not really in a place where you're like, oh, I don't really care to read about the brutality of the Jap- Japanese occupation of China or whatever. <laughs> and so, but, you know, we, I, I feel like all three of us are on a similar wavelength in that we want to discuss that sen- with sensitivity and, and appropriateness, but then also highlight the things about the book that were yeah. great. Like, oh, this is an awesome sh- art style. Or, hey, look at how this guy is, they just can't let us forget that he's British or whatever. So I feel like we, <laughs> we do a good, <laughs> there's a good balance of we acknowledge this over here, but then we're also kind of pointing out this thing over here that yeah. we do like about it. Anyway. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Gee, John, I sure wish that I knew somebody who started a muffin company. Yeah, I guess shout out to Craig McDine. I'm wearing my muffin but good vibes. Muffin but good vibes. Yeah, I'm wearing my muffin but good vibes shirt today. Craig McKnight, you say he's a he's a friend. That's friendship. Yeah, and he if you're in the San Diego area, you know, definitely check them out or like his page on social media. But I want to give him a shout out because 
Muffin But Good Vibes will be covering all of the fees for our hey, fundraiser. Wow. Yeah, so Craig reached out to me. He helped cover the fees for our last fundraiser. That's really and nice. And he said That's that Muffin nice. But Good Vibes will be covering whatever fees we incur on our current donations to Rain. So thank Very you so generous. much for Craig yes. McKnight. Yeah, and be sure to check out his Muffin, page. Muffin But Good Vibes book club member sponsor. Yeah, thank you so much. And I also have some shouts out this week. Danielle almost spit out her beer. I want to shout out... Shouts out. Robert Lindbergh. Thanks for shouting us out on Facebook. He got his Beast of Vargu and others trade paperback, and he's really excited to get to it. I'm really excited to get to those stories, too. So thanks for sharing us and sharing our page. And we also... I have to share a book club member. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Robert Lindbergh. Robert Lindbergh. Book club club member. member. Yeah, you got it. And I also got to give a shout out to Jacob Raymond. So I had a funny interaction with Jacob... Uh, the other day, he was actually selling a Mezco figure. Oh, yeah, is this the guy that... Yeah, he was selling a Mezco figure that I don't have, and he had a good price on it, and so I wanted to buy it from him. And when I sent him my name and my address, he was like, holy shit, are you the Hellboy Book Club podcast? Aww. And I said, yeah, that's me. Aww. He said, that's my favorite podcast, man. It gets me through work all the time. You guys turned me on to so much more from Mignola, and I almost feel guilty for selling you this. It should just be a gift. No. And I'm like, no, no, don't no, gift it to me. I'm not... happy to pay you for your figure. Yeah. He that's says, very sweet. What was the fate? It's like a lo- well, Lobster Johnson, right? Yeah, it's the Ghost of Lobster ghost Johnson. Ghost of Lobster yeah. Johnson. I've been wanting that figure oh, for a while. Oh, the so. Ghost of Lobster Johnson. Fantastic. And he just said, just super awesome. I get to share my Hellboy collection with you. It's a huge nerd moment for me. Aww. And I was like, man, you're making my head big over here. Like, you're making <laughs> yeah. me feel like oh, I'm, wow. a, I'm a celebrity or something. We're just a, a book club. Yeah. Not a, yeah. And he said, in our circle of fans, you are. Can't thank you enough for the endless hours of entertainment I've gotten from you and the guys. Jacob Raymond. Book club member. Book club member. Yeah. And if you're like Jacob and you've been enjoying the show every week, you know, leave us a review. I know that I kind of just throw that out there sometimes. Leave us a review and all that junk. But that really does help the podcast. You know, there's all these algorithms to the iTunes and all that kind of stuff. And if we get enough reviews and we have good reviews, then we're likely to show up you know, in the recommended list and stuff like and that. And that's more get, book club members. Yeah, and get some more to listeners. To hang out with and be friends with. Exactly. That's, that's friendship. Yeah, so leave us a review on iTunes or, you know, share us on social media like Robert did. I really appreciate all the love from you guys. Thanks, guys. And I'm going to plug, you know, I, I normally don't plug my own stuff, but I do want to plug book club member comics on Instagram. That's my new Instagram that I'm opening up. And it's just for like sharing other comics and other things that I do, you know, that are outside of the Hellboy stuff. I like to just show off parts of my collection and some books that I have. And so that's not so much a plug as it is uh, extended friendship. There you go. If you'd yeah. like to continue friendship beyond uh hellboy talk yeah there you go BPRD you can follow talk. me on instagram you can go talk about whatever silver surfer and yeah exactly and i got that book club members from obviously the podcast yeah you book know? club members comics that's great yeah so you can check me out on instagram and i'm going to be selling some comics too in the near future and so if you're interested in other comics or you like buying comics online you know you can check me out there as well book club member comics for book club members yeah there you go yeah and comics <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Listener, listener feedback. feedback. Yay! <laughs> Is that the new song right there? That's Adorable. a new jingle. Good job, Aubrey. Yeah, that was great. You read a story, we talk about it. You hate them guys, us. 
And it's a book club. Get out. I got a message from A.T. Johnston on Facebook. And actually, A.T., he sent me a message to my actual Facebook, my personal Facebook, and I wasn't friends with him. So I missed the message totally. Uh, yeah, because it goes in like a some weird subfolder exactly, in the Phantom yeah. Zone or some shit. So he sent me this message back in May, and I just kind of got around to it. You so were like thank accidentally you. on Facebook on your PC. Yeah, and I saw on it. On your laptop I or saw it on shit. there, and so I messaged AT. On your AT. MacBook. <laughs> and uh, he said, I just caught up to the latest episode of the Hellboy Book Club, and I am pleased to hear that you respond to messages. I've been taking notes and plan to send along an email or two, as I have been a Mignola fan since before Hellboy, and I was waiting for his first creator-owned book to drop from Dark Horse way back in the pre-cataclysmic age. He says, I also finished the last arc of BPRD Devil You Know. Given that, you can imagine I have some thoughts to share. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. I've loved the Mignolaverse dearly, as it has evolved over the years and decades, and I'm so happy for Mignola. P.S. Speaking of Only Beast, I always very much enjoy those drum fills in the outro. Yeah, thank you for shouting out Only Beast. You're an excellent percussionist. Oh, You're thank a great you. Drummer, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know what? What's a bummer about another bummer about all this? Yeah. Try not to reflect on that, but you know we're in the middle of recording our new album when all this happened. Well, y'all had already finished all y'all's parts, and I was in the middle of recording the vocals. Yeah, and I was in a good place. Which is rare for me. <laughs> I was in a, I was in a great pause, feeling good, you know, and I was I was ready to do it, and I had already booked two sessions, which was going to be more than enough to finish what we we're doing. Right. So it's it's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible been a, it's bummer. been a bummer for us. And there's a part in one of our new songs that I was already telling Danielle, I was like, "This is going to be the new outro on the podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this part, yeah. this instrumental part, and put it as the outro." And I just haven't, we haven't been able to do that. So hopefully that'll be coming out at some point. Question marks, yeah. (laughs) We had some feedback on The Promised Smile. That was one of the stories from Assortment and Horrors that we read. Jason Abaddon said... Jason Abaddon. Book club member. Club member. At the end of the first story where Casper is thinking about how Hellboy could be in another part of the world the next week, I couldn't help but think of the old song Secret Agent Man by Johnny Rivers as the end credits roll. (laughs) Secret... love that song right Aubrey I do love that song that's a great song yeah I think you turned me on to that song it's really good oh man oh man I'm gonna <laughs> listen to that as we're done song. recording <laughs> <laughs> we had some feedback on the other side of summer that was the other story that we read Jason Abaddon said you guys were talking about Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys I recall my sister was all about Nancy Drew for a while but gave up on them because the supernatural or spooky things to be investigated always turned out to be smugglers or something mundane <laughs> Now she dislikes the new Dan- Nancy Drew series because it's always CG, supernatural, generic stuff. Yeah, I didn't realize that, right. so it's kind of switched the other way now. That's what I liked about uh, the X-Files. I was just a kid when I was watching that, first started watching that show, and yeah. so it was, <laughs> Scully's always like, no, nah, it's just something mundane. And then Mulder's by himself, and something fucking wacky right. happens, <laughs> and no one else is around. He's just like, oh. Yeah, it's kind of how I felt about like uh, Scooby Doo as a, as a kid. You know, right. as a kid, it's always like a ghost, but no, it's actually Old Man Withers. And yeah, then, <laughs> and it's just like, uh, but now it's like, oh, now it's actually a ghost. I'm like, eh. yeah, go back to Old yeah. Man Withers. <laughs> <laughs> We'd also talked about Mark Tweedell mentioned Jenny coming back from that story and BPRD 1957. He said it's not a scoop. I just oh, okay. I just hope she's in it. Right. 
Sure, it's not. Ah, sure, it is, Mark. I, I'm just kidding. You fucked up. He says, I really have no idea when or where she'll show up. It just makes me think that up. it's even more of a scoop <laughs> that you're denying it. And Ryan, you also said, I hope we see more of Ginny and Hellboy in a future comic. I know that Chris Robertson has been hinting at it for a while. Ryan Yule. Book club member. Yeah. 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 Some feedback on The Crimson Lotus Part 1 that we read last week. Jorge Quiro said, I haven't read it yet, but I have the trade paperback. Now I have the perfect excuse. Yeah, you know, that happens to me too, because like I'm not totally caught up on all the Hellboy comics, but I have all of them. And so I'm like, oh, okay. now that they're coming up in the reading order, some of the current stuff, I'm like, oh, now I can finally read the stuff that I'm not caught so up on. So you just on. kind of put it aside and didn't read it. You know, I'm, I'm one of these people like, I collect, like I have it on my box and I'm not going to drop it on my box, but like I have so little, it, it's like doing the podcast when I do have free reading time, I want to read other stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I, I feel like doing the podcast has put me in this position where I'm like, well, I know I'm going to get to it anyway. <laughs> so I'll just read something sure. different and then I'm going to get to this anyway and be able to discuss it on the podcast. So you know, I'm not totally caught up. We're getting, we're starting to get to some stuff that I haven't read. I remember a while ago you told me like, hey, I actually haven't read. You, t- you were talking to me personally. I think it was before all the pandemic happened. And we were going to do Crimson Lotus way back then. And you're like, oh, I actually haven't read this one yet. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Right. Rise you of haven't the, read. Yeah. Rise of the Black Flame. I hadn't read that one either before we discussed it. Jorge Quiros, book club member. Yeah. Thank you, Jorge. Yeah. Ryan Yule said, this was not my favorite story because I wasn't smart enough to figure out what was going on a lot of the time. <laughs> Hopefully you guys can explain it to me. I think I know what he's talking about, too. There's a part at the end where I kind of had to go back and go, hmm, okay, what happened here? But, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit. And Ryan Rollinson said... Ryan Rollinson, book club member. Book club member. Yeah. He said, for me, Crimson Lotus is easily the heaviest heavy this side of Hecate. Mm. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Ryan. I was surprised we didn't get a lot of feedback on the food talk. I meant to go back and look... People are see. probably sick of that shit. Yeah, but I wanted to see who what they eat in the Hellboy universe. I And I even forgot to go back and look at that. But Mark Tweedell said, I have it on good authority from Phoenix that Johan likes ghost beef. Ghost beef. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Didn't she mention that once? When Wasn't she like, what do you even eat? Ghost beef? Uh, or didn't I'm, she say I'm, that to him? I, I think it was more one. of an insult. She, she was yeah 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 that's pretty good thank you mark for that being facetious all right thank you. that was the word i was looking for <laughs> <laughs> all right and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week this week we're continuing our discussion of crimson lotus this is a five issue miniseries that was published in november 2018 to march 2019 today we're going to be discussing issues three through five how about it written by john arcudi art by mindy lee Colors by Michelle Madsen and letters by Clem Robbins. Edited by Katie O'Brien and covers by the great Tanchi Zanich. Yeah, so let's talk about this chapter three cover. And there's like a, a theme with these covers. I was laying them all out the other day to take my pictures yeah, for our good. weekly posts. And, you know, it's the same color palette in all the covers. And there's always like something overlaid over the top. I think it's really interesting how like the hand with the coin is like negative space, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just the colors and everything that the way that Zonyich does it, I think it just adds a lot of depth to the cover. And it's just really dynamic. I really It's great composition, these. but yeah. yeah, the colors are so, I mean, black, red, and white. Yeah. A lot of stark contrasts there. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very um, striking cover. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, but Tanchi Zanjits, like we said last week and every time before, he's he's just amazing when it comes to these covers. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the sketchbook section. There are some interesting notes from him in there. So 
At the end of our last episode, that one ended with the Crimson Lotus seeing a vision of Agent Dai in her cauldron. So now that we know that she's after him in this issue. And we open up in Harbin, China, and we are at the meeting of the Jilin Self-Defense Army and the Chinese Resistance. And so, just like Danielle mentioned earlier, you know, there is some themes in this comic that revolve around the Japanese occupation of China, you know, and that is a sensitive subject. And so I just want to throw that out there before we dig in, because a lot of that stuff is really traumatic and it's, you know... Well, in a lot of these comics, there's just a lot of, like, brutality and a lot of violence and stuff. I mean, you know, I would think that the people who are regular listeners know that that's kind of the subject matter that we deal with sometimes. But I don't know if anyone's just, like, just jumping in, like, what's this all about? And then you and we're immediately talking about... Some horrific shit. Right, right, (laughs) exactly. And so they mentioned this Jilin self-defense army. This was an anti-Japanese volunteer army formed to defend local Chinese residents against the Japanese invasion of northeast China. It was organized in order to prevent the fall and occupation of Harbin City. This brought all the forces under a unified command, and the army reached a strength of 30,000 men in six brigades. And the speaker here that's addressing the crowd, she reveals to the group that Balu has been killed. So remember that double skulled mouth monster came and bit off his head or whatever and brought it to the Crimson Lotus. Yeah. They suspect the Imperial Japanese forces, but we know it was really that skeleton monster. And Dai and Shingli are shocked to hear of Balu's death. This is the first time they're hearing about it. And as they talk, it seems like Shingli is getting pretty irritated with Dai's British sentiment. <laughs> At some point, she Don't tells forget him... forget he's British. Yeah, she tells him to cut the stiff upper lip crap. And I kind of looked that up, too. You know, that's just like... Yeah. British people are supposed to be, like, emotionless in the face of danger or whatever. Sure, yeah. And so that's kind of what that means. Stoic, yeah. I believe is the... She's like, you're not British. <laughs> and he's just very fucking constantly trying to re- remind everybody how British he is. I just thought that was... <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, yeah. I, I, I savored that moment. <laughs> fantastic and she tells him that he's as vulnerable as any of them and she gives him this talisman he's immediately like i'm not doing that right any of that you know he's thinking in his head he's like that that doesn't go with my tie yeah my aesthetic right he's also probably thinking about how embarrassed he would be if anyone found out he was wearing it that kind of shit and she's like he goes oh i'm not taking that she's like oh no you're gonna actually pay me for i assume that's part of the magic it only becomes his if he pays him she's all you know weird stuff's going on a gun's not going to be appropriate in every situation right and so he's like oh yeah if it will calm your hysterics Uh, like this fucking guy and he just gives her a coin he says he picked it up in hong kong and he goes yo is that gonna do it at this point, I'm just assuming it can be any denomination. It can be any kind right. of whatever. It doesn't matter as long as he pays for as it. As long as he gives her something for yeah, it. Yeah, and so she's like, yeah, sure. Here, let me put this on you. And he's uh, joking about he's going to wear it as an earring or whatever. Right. And so she just comes out with, you are a complete ass. <laughs> I actually laughed aloud at that fantastic dynamic between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, I love this. Oh, it, yeah. John Arcudi always does a good job of giving them good character moments. Remember all the good character moments that we had in BPRD? I live for that. That's my personal favorite yeah. in any story is I just want I want 100% fan fiction right. and everything and, I read. And, and these are two new characters that we've never met before, but already in the third issue, we love them yeah. and we get their dynamic and everything. I, it's kind of a love-hate thing with this yeah, guy. Yeah, it's good. Because she's 
still tolerating him, I'm also doing the same thing. I just love, I just love the way, like you said, I like how he writes in those characters. Yeah, it's really good. And there's a nice bit of continuity as well because if you remember in the issue one where he was getting his shoes shined, he got that coin as change. Shoe shouse. Yeah, he got that coin as change, and then so that's the coin. Thank you for the continuity reporting. I love that shit. That's some great shit. Yeah. And right. I was thinking that this might be the one that she ties around his neck. It might be a Yang Shen coin, commonly known as a Chinese numismatic charm. This could refer to a collection of special decorative coins that are mainly used for rituals such as fortune telling, Chinese superstitions, and feng shui. They originated in the Western Han Dynasty as a variant of contemporary Ba Liang and Wuzhu cash coins. Over the centuries, they have evolved into their own commodity with different shapes and sizes. Their use was revitalized during the Republic of China era. Normally, these coins are privately funded and cast by a rich family for their own ceremonies. Huh. Although a few types of coins have been cast by various governments or religious orders over the centuries. Chinese numismatic charms typically contain hidden symbolism and visual puns. That's interesting. Yeah, and I found one that kind of looks like this, but it was oh. upside down. So the way that this one is oriented, right. it was oriented a different way. Um, but I thought it was really That's interesting. Cool, if you yeah. if you Google that, you'll see a whole bunch of different types. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's I like thought, personalized to the wearer. I guess. Yeah, That's I kind of went cool. down a rabbit hole with that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm also super interested if there's any book club members listening who uh, have to weigh in on how to pronounce uh, feng shui or feng shui. Yeah. Feng, feng shui or feng shui. Feng shui or feng shui or how is that properly? Are we doing it right or not? Pronunciation help corner's us, back. Help us out. We are sincerely interested. So at least I am. So yeah, just like if you know. And so in the middle of this moment, somebody hears something and suddenly a giant tiger monster bursts through their meeting. Whoa. And it's it like a hippo through. face tiger monster. I know. The design on this is incredible. I love the monster work by Mindy Lee in this series. It looks like it has, like, rows of nostrils going up its head and stuff like that. Okay, so I got to be honest when I was sitting there looking at this page. You know, it's horrible monster coming through and causing all havoc. I'm sitting there looking at those six nostrils going, does that make its sinuses better or worse? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and that's literally the first thing I thought of. Shangli is hit by a piece of debris, and this one dude gets totally chomped by this thing immediately, right? I tried to research if there were any kind of mythical Chinese tiger monsters, and I found two. One is called a Zhaoyu, and the other one's called a Zhang, but they didn't really resemble so like this face? one. Okay. No, they, they looked a little different, and they had like horns on their head and stuff like that, so this might just be a, right. an original creation for the story. Cool. Let me know if it resembles or it's a reference to a specific mythical tiger. Dai tries shooting at it, but obviously that's not going to do anything. And the tiger monster starts bearing down on him. And I like how the tiger stripes are kind of like flaring yeah, up or whatever. Bit, like if like if this was happening in front of you, it would almost be somewhat of a psychedelic effect. Yeah. I get that impression. Kind of reminded me of the black flame a little bit too. Cool. Those kind of like tiger stripe fire right. or whatever. And I love this moment because just as it bears down on him, it like kind of turns into butterflies. That is a really cool panel. Yeah, that's it a neat transition. Super cool. I like that you can tell. There's a sense of movement to it. You can tell exactly what's happening. It's not confusing at all. Right. Yeah. That can easily be confusing to look at, but it's it's very well illustrated. You you know, I um I like that. I know 
what's happening yeah in that panel i like it's oh it's clearly this monster is turning into waves of butterflies yeah very cool i like how he's also he's like shooting it's not working maybe if i keep trying to shoot it even though it's having absolutely no effect on it whatsoever and then after it dissipates into the butterflies he's like oh what was that did someone slip me some absinthe yeah he thinks he's like tripping out or something shangli says what just happened is i just saved your life or you're charmed it anyway. It's like, I'm going to completely ignore everything that just happened and everything you just said. Because I'm right. going to reload this gun anyway. And uh, just in case your little charm doesn't work. It's right. very, he's just very condescending about the whole thing. Completely ignoring <laughs> what he's just experienced exactly. in favor of his own. She's not having it. But it's, so that's their dynamic. Yeah. And as he's reloading his gun, there's an enormous boom that destroys the building wall. And the Crimson Lotus enters. Like she's, they're clearly using magic. Yeah. There's, it's, I mean, magic is clearly (laughs) happening and he's still like, that can't be real. That's not happening. And it's just very, it's kind of fresh. I can see how it would be very frustrating for this agent. Right. Obviously there's a scientific explanation. Right. Magic humbo jumbo. He doesn't even offer that up. There's not even, there must be an alternate (laughs) explanation. It's just, it can't be the thing you say. And the Crimson Lotus, she's got these like blue lightning emanating from her hands. So I was wondering if that's like the Vril, because we've seen that too. It's definitely a skill up, whatever is happening here. Mm -hmm. And she says that Dai isn't dead because she doesn't want him to be dead. She reiterates this many, many times. Yeah. And so he tries to square off against her, but Shangli exclaims, listen to what she's saying. She wants you alive. You got to get out of here, right? She's begging, begging this knucklehead <laughs> to listen to literally anything that's going on around him. Yeah. And she says, I'll take care of her. And then she holds up her hand and there's like a Whoa. orb of light. That was so fucking cool. Yeah, I was good. like, yes, oh. this is awesome. We're about to get a great action beat here. I really like the way that she draws her hand. The, the way her fingers are elongated and you could just i don't know i mean it's just you know drawing hands is so difficult but drawing magic hands is you get to be kind of playful with it the so. fingers almost seem broken it's it's yeah. it's verging on but i also am taking into account like the the personal style it's a very cartoonish style so it's it's That's, super exaggerated which is kind of how i think they're they're getting away with that but but I mean it's just like you know I mean it's super exaggerated it's but it still looks right. it still looks functional and expressive it's sure. not like it's not like you just you know her back is broken or anything it's, like no that. no yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no 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 it's not in a in a way that is gross or anything like that yeah. but it is it's like borderline but I think that the stylistic choices are what really make it kind of keep me in the thing but no I agree yeah, it's, it's well it, cool. it looks yeah. to me like when someone's holding like a basketball. You know no, what I mean? Yeah, you kind of no. got to splay yeah. your fingers yeah, out, but it, it does feel like she's holding a shape in yeah, there, yeah, you know, even yeah. though it's just light. It Very works. cool. Yeah. It works. Yeah. You can like sense that the power is emanating from her hand. Yeah. yeah. So Dai, he goes ahead and listens to her and he makes a run for it. And as he goes out, he's confronted by these Japanese soldiers in gas masks outside. They surround him with guns. Good evening, gents. Yeah. He says, I don't suppose any of you know about Scylla and Charybdis. Eh? He asks. It's from, you know, the Odyssey, if you remember reading this in whatever middle school or high school or whenever you read it. But I remember we were, I was in the car with my mom and we were listening to the radio or something. 
and she was like, I don't understand the lyrics of the song. It's it's uh, wrapped around your finger. Uh, the police. It was on synchronicity. There's a lyric in there that uh, is says, uh, "You consider me the young apprentice caught between the Scylla and Charybdis." I was explaining to her about the Odyssey and she's like, oh yeah, I think I read that when I was in school or whatever. It's an idiom from uh, Greek mythology, which is basically means like choosing the lesser of two evils because if you go this way, something bad's going to happen. But if you go that way, something bad's going to happen. So you have to choose one. Right. And so it's one of these things, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of various sayings like uh, that maybe are similar, like you might be familiar with rock in a hard place or lesser of two evils. Things like that, and so it's actually meant to express like having to choose between equally dangerous things. Kind of is going to end up being a c- complete disaster no matter right, what you do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's interesting that he brings that up. I'm not really. It's it's interesting that that's the one that he chose, right? Because yeah. it's monsters. Yeah, it's yeah. two monsters. So I kind of felt like that was a, it was fitting, but it was also very extremely. Ah, uh, let me remind you, traps how British I am. <laughs> <laughs> ah well good evening gents very yeah don't know i don't suppose you know about uh this thing from ancient greek literature eh right yeah thank you for the research assist there you know i'll just add in Scylla was a six-headed monster and charybdis was a whirlpool yeah or something like that so you know um in the odyssey odysseus has to choose between which one he's going to go towards. I think he decides to pass by Scylla and, and the, only use a few and only lose a few sailors rather than risk his entire ship in Charybdis. Yeah. And in the lyrics of that of that police song, there's another line that says, "Devil in the deep blue sea behind me, vanish in the air, you'll never find me." Uh, devil between yeah. the devil and deep blue sea is another way to say that. So there's a bunch of different yeah. ones. You can look it up. There's like a whole list full of all these different ways you can say kind of this express the same idea so i kind of went down a little internet rabbit hole looking at that yeah good job there i think i'll be sure to revisit that police song soon <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's actually kind of a kind of a weird song it's kind of like a weird oh uh, i mean a lot gross of song but it's songs are. sure but it's um that's just what that reminded me of is that i kind of we i got into a whole thing with my mom about the odyssey and she was like how was he doing the when did he go there and i was like i don't actually know and i had to like look it up and so i remember and that's how I reread the Odyssey. Yeah, good job. It dies in this moment, and then all of a sudden, the Chinese resistance, the Jilin, they start attacking the Japanese soldiers. They're like throwing rocks at him and stuff like that. And so that provides a distraction where a die can get away. And he says, as he runs away, <laughs> I have seen the fig tree of salvation, and I seize it. It's still a little extra. And so... No one talks like that. This might be a reference to the parable of the barren fig tree. The parable reflects Jesus offering a chance for repentance and the forgiveness of sin, showing his grace towards his believers. In either case, this <laughs> guy's just full loser. of idioms, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't he? <laughs> Over with the Crimson Lotus and Shangli. Shangli seems to conjure up this gold dragon. Nice, nice. Hmm. Have we nice. seen gold dragons before in this series? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we saw them in BPRD, The Black Goddess. Remember, Liz turned some frogs into the gold dragons, as well as the previously mentioned Lobster Johnson and the Iron Prometheus. Remember when he went into that other realm, there were like these gold dragon visions in the sky and stuff like that. So I think there was even like a lobster story where I think Matt pointed it out 
they were talking to a doctor on the phone and the doctor had a robe that had gold dragons on it and stuff like that. So I just like seeing that theme come up yeah. again. And the art by Lee and Madsen is incredible because the dragon looks like almost translucent or something like that. Yeah, it's all in the colors there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does look translucent, almost like a hologram-like. Right, right. Yeah, and that's what the Crimson Lotus says. She's like, this is all an illusion. But can Shangli defend herself? And then so she does. She shoots out these three hooks out of her sleeve. I thought that was so cool how she shoots these things out. And, Super but, spy stuff. Yeah, but they just pass through the Crimson Lotus like she's just made of smoke or something. And they go into the wall behind her. Now Shangli is hooked up to the wall. And then the wall kind of pulls her out. And so this is where... It's almost hard to describe it in this audio format. I think but that's, I think that's her pulling on the wall. The um, crimson lotus is pulling yeah, her out. Exactly. Yeah. Do you notice how the cracks in the wall kind of resemble a fist? Oh yeah, yeah definitely. It's, so it's it her is grabbing like it pulling and pulling it. it with magic. And it, this is where Mindy Lee's art style, I think, really is so powerful because you do get that animation where you see it happening. Yeah. It's so, we. if you're looking at the page, you can tell immediately what's going on, but trying to describe it right. feels cumbersome. And so you know that's, I mean? that's a really, you know, that's we talk about this a lot, but that's the mark of, of uh, someone who's good at what they're doing is they're yeah. telling a story that I can actually follow. I'm not like, wait, what happened? I'm not going back. I'm like, oh, I'm following this. The action is going quickly but it's also easy to follow so yeah. I, I like i appreciate that because it is a weird thing to try and describe you're right like she shoots hooks into the walls and the wall pulls her out but yeah. it's really by magic and it's like a fit and like aubrey said <laughs> like it looks like a fit so it's kind of hard to uh but there's a lot of action going on and i can i can tell that she's good at telling the story because i'm not just flipping through these pages yes, exactly. like waiting for something else to happen it's very expressive and it, and it just flows so well yeah and they continue their battle outside. The Crimson Lotus is flying up above, and she's shooting lightning down at Shengli, and she like generates like some sort of force field around her. And you can kind of see, you know, the Crimson Lotus has this kind of blue blast. I was wondering if that's Vril related. Oh, yeah. And then Shengli's power is like orange mm -hmm. or something or yellow. Yeah, golden. Interesting. Over with Agent Dai, he finds himself at a dead end. And he fires back at these Japanese soldiers that are chasing him. And he climbs a nearby building fire escape to elude them. And they remind their reader that, oh, we have to take him alive. Don't shoot him. Right, exactly. One soldier, he tells the other. And so he orders that soldier to go follow Dai and they'll surround the building. But they're playing into Dai's plan, right? He's kind of crafting his, his own plan. His internal monologue is very British. Yeah. It's great. And so he smashes a window and escapes inside for a change in strategy. In the street, the Crimson Lotus and Agent Shengli face off. She tries a different tactic because it's, you know, her defenses are super good. So she's kind of switching it around to be like, oh, you're really good at this. I wasn't expecting you to be this good at the shit, you're uh, pretty advanced, and hey, that's impressive to me. Maybe you should uh, join me. And right. Can, like, together we can rule the universe as father and son. Kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> they, do, they do have that moment. I'll never join you! The Crimson Lotus says, Your defenses are stronger than a novice in hieromancy. That's a form of divination involving sacrificial remains or sacred objects. Nice, nice. As they're having that Luke-Darth-Vader moment, 
the Crimson Lotus hears gunshots and she looks up there and it looks like the soldier is shooting at Agent Die, and she's like, no, I said I wanted him alive. And that bottom panel where she says that is so kind of humorous to yes. me. She's got that villain moment. She said moment. that so many times. And her, her expression is, yes. is continuously becoming more and more savage. Serious. Like she's very... It's just intense. She's becoming more and more, like Aubrey was saying earlier, it's very expressive, very refreshing, is that we can see the full range of extreme emotions she's going through, like the just complete rage. It's it's scary yeah. to look at. I mean, you know what she's going to do. I, I found it kind of comical, too, though. Like I yeah, almost, it's good. It, like in a, in a Disney animated or something or, oh, where, it, where one of the villains just goes so it's mad and crazy. Ursula, it, yeah, that she's so, it's exactly. kind of reminds me a little bit of that she's just so fucking pissed and so with the crimson lotus distracted by what's going on in the roof shengli is able to escape and as she's going through this alleyway she says all this way all this legwork and why balu dead die dead and me she's too strong for me i can't face her again she would have killed me this time if i hadn't had this special defense this reciprocal charm. Thank you, Die. And so I think that that is where she had to make him pay for it. Yeah. That played into something. Yeah. I, I like magic. this idea of this reciprocal charm, like the fact that she gave it to him and he gave her something back. Yeah. It also magicified what he gave her, even though he's not really a believer, which I find is so interesting. I it tried gives to- some weight to it. For yeah. Sure, yeah, and I, I tried to look that up, reciprocal charm. I couldn't find anything really in reference to that. So if you know anything about that or if that's a, you know, quote unquote, a real thing or based in some sort of, um, you know, magical teachings, I'd be really interested to know more about that. Mm-hmm. I will have to say that uh, I kind of really did think that they shot him because I really wasn't paying too much attention to his particular thing because I'm like, oh, back to him. Let's get back to the good part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, her against the Crimson Lotus. And then I was like, Oh, that was a nice little fake out. Yeah, and so like Aubrey said, you know, Dai comes around and he's in the gas mask in the Japanese uniform and he's like, you weren't hard to find. Though I'd have to say I was hoping I'd at least find you crying over me. And before you ask, I didn't use the black arts. And so she's like, it's a bit of a shock to be looking at you, but I think the outfit gives it away. And he's like, don't spoil my fun. Let me tell you all about it, what I did. Even oh, though she's man. obviously figured it out. He's like, I've got to I got to tell you how cool I was the in this dork. moment. So yeah, you know, when he broke the window and went inside, he waited for one of the guys and he hit him on the head, knocked him out. Then he switched uniforms with him. And so when the Crimson Lotus thought she was watching one of the soldiers shoot die, he was really shooting the other guy. And he's like, oh, I was lucky I happened upon that empty warehouse shengli says that charm is what made you lucky he goes ah i knew you would find a way to ruin it for me <laughs> so shengli says they'll have to check out of the modern hotel harbin that i talked about last week and head to the safe house inside the hotel she calls major zhao to tell him that their covers are blown she tells him that the Crimson Lotus thinks Agent Die is dead, and she thinks that him being dead, quote-unquote, might be best for everyone. She feels bad, but she says what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Upstairs, Agent Die goes to his room, and when he opens the door, the Crimson Lotus is there. She's already figured out, you know, I guess she went to go inspect the body that got shot and realized it wasn't him. And she's in there with her no mass monkeys. She says he is going to tell her everything he knows. And one of those monkeys is on the chair. I like this here near the lamp. He's like pulling on the little string. Such a little creepy moment as it's like laughing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Chapter four. And again, just a dynamic cover 
by Tanchi Zanyich. And I like how, you know, just like I mentioned on the last cover, there's a lot of stuff like overlaid um, in these covers and just like the white windows and the background and everything. It just adds so much to this cover. I just really enjoy these. They are kind of like, like Aubrey said last week, throwback, you know, old school movie posters looking. Oh, yeah. We're back in the hotel and Sheng Li, she's paying for her stay and she actually overpays the clerk. And he asks about Dai if he'll be checking out too. She says he'll have to ask him. Very well, the clerk says. In any case, I suppose his guest will keep him occupied tonight. You know that lady that just walked in with four mask-wearing monkeys? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the clerk knows that she's there. How did she get in there with the monkeys and all that? Anyway, I just thought that was kind of a funny moment. But Shang Li quickly, quickly realizes, oh, shit, you know, there's somebody else up there after Agent Die. So, I mean, if you got to think about it, I mean, so she probably walked up to the front desk. Hi, I am looking for Agent Die's room. Pay no attention to the no-mask monkeys. Right, or they came in through the window or something, maybe, <laughs> something like that. That. Just the hilariousness of it. You know? <laughs> Upstairs, the Crimson Lotus uses some sort of magic to gain control over Die. We see this green mist filling the room, and so I want to point that out. You know, when she's using this magical power, it's kind of like greenish or whatever. It's a really cool effect. I like how his eye is green, and then there's like smoke coming out of the eye, and then that's giving her the vision to see what he knows. I like the stylistic choice for the smoke clouds yeah it's like a double page kind of splash page version of this so i think that's really cool too the the choice to use this kind of format she looks into his mind and she sees a train she expects it will be ferrying a spy a colossal weapon or another magician but she just sees crates of rifles and bombs brought in by the japanese this is your secret idiot she throws him back against the wall who feeds you these lies, she asks. Who has been wasting my time? To whom have I lost so many of my men? And dies like, Mad woman, you should have never come here. I'm always prepared for, and he reaches for a gun that he has hidden under the bed, but that creepy nomass monkey already's got it, and it's like holding it there. That's such a creepy little moment to like, Look under your bed and see this thing under there with a gun. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get my gun. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Die is thrown against the wall, and he's thrown into the wall, too. Another really cool effect, like, you know, she's pushing him into the wall, and he's, like, going in it. And it's so graphic, because she's, like, crushing his skull or yeah, something. Man. Like, blood's coming yeah. out of, like, his nose and Her his face. eyes. Her face. Her expression fucking yeah. intense. And she says, you resist, so I do what I must. The cracked shell of your head will open all to me. And then all of a sudden, spectacular reveal by Lee and Madsen. Yeah, nice. The Crimson Lotus thought that the Gold Dragons was an illusion, but here we see that it's actually not, right? The Gold Dragon is able to wrap her up and fly her away. Really cool double page there. Yeah, I love the way this page is all laid out. And it's like, you know, taking real advantage of the double page, but also kind of panel laid out because with the dragon at the top and then that one panel and then at the bottom it's like you see the the uh, result and everything it's yeah like, but it looks like it's connected but really we're seeing does, two different things that is so cool yeah i love that great panel layout thanks for pointing that out aubrey shangli comes in to aid agent die he needs to catch his breath after almost getting his skull crushed but there's no time it's a monkey he's got a gun Blam, blam, blam. <laughs> so I, I have to imagine, is this a reference to that? I, I mean, mean, it has to be, right? Yeah. It has to be. I just thought that that was really funny. 
It's a little fucked up how they, I mean, this, you know, these poor monkeys didn't ask for any of this. It's kind of right. They're being controlled. We learned from that previous issue that I mean, it's very fucked up. Not even a little bit. It's, yeah, I don't, you know, it's gross, but and Dai grabs a throwing star from his pocket and he strikes the monkey right in the head with it. I would have preferred if they were like magic monkeys, right? You know what I mean? And not like I didn't because we didn't know like where they came from until like they showed us that she grabbed a bunch of actual monkeys right. i was kind of always Un- unwilling to yeah, like they look I, scared i could always in the back of my mind be like well maybe they're just magic monkeys and they're not actual monkeys they're made out of magic but now it's kind of like no these are actual monkeys it's right. terrible well i guess I, I i guess the way i'm reading it is it's like the the mask has some sort of demon in it and it drove the monkey spirit out the monkey spirit went to monkey heaven okay okay and this is now a demon inhabited mm. monkey body so okay there you go we'll I'll go with that i like that interpretation aubrey okay and when die strikes the monkey he says cheers sometimes a bit of steel and muscle works better than magic and she goes shut up ridiculous Dai thinks that they can stop running since the witch is dead, but Shangli keeps going towards the window. She says she's not dead. And Dai, like, gets all concerned as they're running towards the window 15 stories up. They burst through the wall, and they're protected by this magic orb. Again, it's got, like, that golden color. Agent Shangli is able to kind of levitate them down to the ground. Throws that a steady on. Yeah, and she's like, sometimes a bit of magic works better than steel and muscle, right? So <laughs> she's throwing it back on him, the, what he said earlier. I love that little moment there. That was that was a nice little beat, yeah. I thought. She says the Crimson Lotus is much more powerful than her. They only got away because she surprised her. And they run off. When we catch up with them, Dai is getting patched up from his encounter. And he's pretty pissed at Shengli. Pip, pip, cheerio. What are you talking about, yeah. false intelligence, <laughs> mate? He knows about disinformation tactics, but he's Hong Kong's prime operative. And they just dangled him out there and never told him about the witch. You what, mate? Shengli says... Telling him defeats the purpose. They needed to create an air of mystery about him. Convince the Lotus that he was a superior agent with classified information. Woman, I am superior, he says. And you nearly got me killed with this game. Yikes. Shengli says Balu did get killed, as well as many others. The mission's success is vital. Dai exclaims that she needs to tell him what the mission is now. I love this scene because Agent Dai... Us as the reader as well, we've kind of were introduced to him as the main character, and he's seen himself as like the prime operative, the hero, but now he's realizing that he's not the superior agent, it's actually Shangli, the beautiful secretary who brought them tea. You know what right. I mean? She's actually yeah. the prime operative, but the one with all the powers. she's completely unflappable here. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love this. So he's like, you gotta tell me now, and she just doesn't. She's like, yeah, no. <laughs> And so he hits the wall behind her in his anger, and he storms out. I uh, I tried to look this up, this thing that he exclaims here. He says boo when he hits the wall. Right. It's kind of apparently various translations of no. Okay, yeah. Or like a negative exclamation of like no or not, do not, stuff like okay. that. Okay. Instead of uh, I dare say or anything stupid like that, he's caught up in his oh, emotions yeah. and the Chinese comes out. Oh, I love that. So Thank he's, you for pointing that out. He's, he's too busy being fucking pissed off. He's so distracted with how angry he is, <laughs> he forgets to be British. Yeah. Which I love. That's great. Good little moment there. Thank you for catching on to that. You let Zhao know I'm coming back to Pai Ping to chat with him over this. Use a telephone or hoodoo, but do tell him, Dai says. I was about to recommend that very thing, Shang Li says, and then we cut to her on the phone with Major Zhao, and she says, 
And then he screamed, finally, we agree about something and slammed the door. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a really cool like beat because it's nice to see him getting taken down a peg. Yeah. <laughs> Talking to Shang Li, Major Zhao says, we've bruised his ego. A thing Agent Dai has always had a bit too much of to be entirely effective in the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. But he'll be safe from the Japanese now that they realize he knows nothing. Yikes. He tells... Agent Shengli, set your mind at ease about that and proceed in the morning to the rendezvous point. Most of the Japanese are likely off your trail, but the Lotus, I'm worried about her. Your new contact will approach you with a seven-word countersign. And so over this, Madsen is just killing it on the colors here. We see Agent Shengli on a train going to this rendezvous point. They don't really tell us where it is, though. I'll talk about that a little bit more and we can see that she's back in her disguise of selling flowers. That, that's what she was doing in last week's episode when she was undercover. She's approached by someone with a seven-word countersign. Lovely blossoms. Have you any in blue? And she turns around, and it's Agent Die. Oh, man. He's like, ah, oh, because I do hate blue. Watcha. Ah. She's like, you damned idiot. He says, I told you the whole way, and you were none the wiser. He's Don't so be angry smart. because I'm a better spy than you thought. Ugh. Be chuffed, I'm here to help. And who told you, Die? she says. Do you really think you're infallible? I would never say infallible, he says. But look about you, woman. Look all about. So he's like, look, nobody followed me. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Oh, man. And their contact arrives, and it's this guy with a bull. And I love the little cling Great clang. Great yeah, yeah, I can absolutely hear exactly the sound that's making. Clung clung, I it love says. It. Yeah, but I love all this on the train. The colors are really spectacular on these pages. Is it a bull? I thought it was a water buffalo. Oh, no, it is a water buffalo. You're right, yeah. Aubrey. The guide is leading them up this mountain. Shangli is telling Dai that he's got to get on the buffalo Get your stupid Anglophile ass upon this buffalo. You have three cracked ribs. And he says, woman, you've been making all these decisions for me since we met. Use me as a ploy, a red herring, the English call it. Which is a good word for it because it stinks. And she says, look, I'm sorry about all that. Even though it was necessary, I'm sorry. But Daijay, if you call me woman one more time. And she holds her fist in front of him. And then the guide interrupts and he says, excuse me, we're here. Yeah. And we get this spectacular image of this like hidden city. And so here's where it kind of reminded me of Thadadri's. That was the ancient city that we saw in the Black Goddess. But that was that was like in Siberia or something like that. But they don't really Mm -hmm. tell us where this is. They just say the rendezvous point. So I wonder if this could possibly be the same city or maybe it's something completely different. And when Dai sees it, he says, holy mackerel. And she says, you and your fish. Because he just said red herring and now he says, holy mackerel. (laughs) I love that. Anyway, these character moments are really good. Dai's like, where are we? I don't think I've even heard about such a place. And she says, that's what makes it perfect. And inside, we see that idol. So remember, this is the idol that Rasputin and Surav took in issue one. It's hidden in this temple. And uh, I like this comment, too, because Dai's like, oh, right, I've forgotten about Surav. Us, too. I think that's there for us, too. It's kind of like, remember all this stuff that happened in the first issue? That's 100% there for the reader. This is why his family disappeared and the reason Dai was brought along. Dai asks what makes it so special. And she talks about how it was stolen by the Russians under the command of Grigory Rasputin, played by young Alan Moore, right? Guy, yeah. Or current Alan Moore. There you go. Sure. <laughs> Just dye his hair black. He'll be fine. 
Shengli says that the idol predates any known civilization. It is well known among practitioners and zealots of the dark arts. The idol was said to have been forged by Sang Fang in Shanyada as a means to reap revenge on Caillou, his killer. It's a piece of hell itself on earth. Jeez. Here in China, it is safe. Just a lump of ore. But should an evil Wu, as powerful as a crimson lotus, lay hands upon it, she could command the demons of Dayu and worse. And these panels are incredible, right? Yeah. As they depict like this Super version good. of hell. And so I tried to look up some of these references that are dropped here. Now, I couldn't find a reference to Sang Fang because it's written here as S-A-N-G-F-E-N-G. But there was a Chinese Taoist ma- named San Fang. It's without the first G. He was purported to have achieved immortality. According to various accounts, he lived for 307 years until the mid-Ming dynasty. He specialized in Confucian and Taoist studies, scholarly and literary arts. During the reign of Emperor Shizu in the Yuan dynasty, he was nominated as a candidate to join the civil service and head office as the magistrate of Boiling County. While touring around the mountainous regions near present-day Baoji, he saw the summits of three mountains and decided to give himself the Taoist name Sang Feng. Yeah, so that's the only reference. I couldn't find a reference to Shenyada or Caillou. Those are those other names that are mentioned. And she also mentions Dayu. So if you recall... That's like the Chinese version of hell. And do you remember who guards Dayu? Two things called ox head and horse face. Oh, okay. Remember oh, ox head and horse right. face? Nice. Yeah, they guard Dayu. They guard the gates of it right, and they let right. some of the spirits out when it's okay, okay for them to go. And then they pull them back in. So I thought that was a nice little callback there. And just like I said, spectacular images of, you know, this kind of devil monster thing around the idol. And then we see when Crimson Lotus has her power, she's like this giant thing over this burning city. We've got a lot of imagery of these giant things before. We obviously had the giants in BPRD Hell on Earth. And then remember in Garden of Souls, those guys that created the artificial bodies that Johan once took possession of, they also envisioned them themselves as these giants over all of Earth and stuff like that. So all the baddies have like this vision of themselves doing this kind of thing, right? It also kind of uh, brings into mind about everybody when people talk about Hellboy and, you know, being the beast of the apocalypse and he's got his horns and the crown and he's giant over the Right, yeah. Yeah, these are some of my favorite panels right here. So epic. Dai says, a week ago he wouldn't have believed it, but now he understands. And as they talk... They notice an ominous, no mask wearing monkey sitting in the doorway. This phrase that Shengli says in Chinese, she says, arm yourself. Bloody hell, Dai says as he pulls his gun. And all of a sudden, all these no mask monkeys descend from all parts of the temple. Again, incredible work here by Mindy Lee. These monkeys were already creepy when we just saw one of them terrorizing Daimyo, right? And then here we just see tons of them all over the place making that chitter sound. If you were standing there hearing that sound, it would be so fucking creepy. Yeah. It's enough to just be unnerving in and of itself. Right. (laughs) And the expression on the mask is like this smiling face, and that just adds a whole other element to it. Dai and Shengli are not sure who was followed, but Dai hopes the Crimson Lotus is not there yet. Then he sees blood on the floor. No, it's too late, Shengli says. And we see these bloodied claw or wings kind of emerging from the idol. I really like how that's done, too, because it's like 
you're like, what the shit is happening, right? As you just yeah. see like these creepy shards or something's coming out of the idol. She says, they're the wounds of Sang Fang, his blood from hell spilling on earth. Somebody get a towel. Yeah. <laughs> As the no mass monkeys attack, Dai says, the idol does the bleeding while we do the dying. And we see these horrible shapes, devils and creatures emerging from the wounds on the statue. Another great giant splash image by Mindy Lee and Madsen. Chapter 5. Let's talk about this cover. In the first cover, it was mostly red. And then the second cover, it's like red breaking through. And now it's like red right in the center. Yeah, and most of it's black. It's kind of shifted over from mostly being red to black. I like that. Thanks for pointing that out. And I also like how here on issue 5, we actually get Shangli on the cover. Like, she's the hero of the book. Yeah. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And so, like, on this last issue, you know, she's the center of the cover. I really enjoy that. And such a cool image by Tanshi Zanyich. We open outside the temple, and some Chinese soldiers are talking, and they wonder why they're out there. They don't think the Japanese would send their whole army, maybe just a squad. And then this one guy starts talking about his haircut. Okay. <laughs> He's like, look, I have bangs now, or something. And they're like, oh, you're going to get in trouble or whatever. They're talking about it. And the guy in the middle, he says, they're distracting him. They have orders and they need to follow them. Follow my example and get serious, he says. And then he gets shot right in the head on the next page. Jeez. <laughs> I do like the uh, the little interaction with the whole look at my bangs because it just shows, I mean, their soldiers are just, these are just people too. And then the guy's like, dudes, pay fucking attention. We're going to get killed. And then he gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were wrong, right? The Japanese sent this huge infantry of soldiers and they descend with zeppelins and parachutes and all this stuff. They have tons of soldiers. And the haircut guy, he runs to alert the people inside, but he gets slammed up against this giant green hand. What happened to Bangs? Right. Yeah. And so the green hand says, none will enter this temple. And remember, whenever we saw the Crimson Lotus using her powers, it was green. It was like this green smoke. Get the fuck out of here, haircut. Yeah, she says, you will not carry out your duties. Useless to your commands and your country. Useless even to me for now. Jeez, all right. And so that's going to set up something later. So I just want to point that out. I think maybe this is where Ryan might have gotten a little confused, right? Because she did something to him. He disappeared in that green smoke. We've learned earlier that her power is this green smoke, so that's going to tie into the ending of the book. Meanwhile, this guy's fucking losing it. He's like, damn, 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 I'm sorry, Shengli. I'm sorry I was arrogant and vain and that I led the Lotus here. Oh, man, he is... <laughs> And shit is just going down, right? The like, nomads keep it together, man. Yeah, the nomads monkeys are yeah. swarming. There's all these blood devils that have emerged from the idol. Here comes the guy. Here comes the scary guy. Yeah, and then as if this isn't enough, we see that skeleton double mouth monster that bit off Balu's head in that previous issue. It's right behind Dai. I like our line here. You can go ahead. Reload your gun. You've got time now because I saved us with magic. Right. The she, thing that you said was useless is well, what saved your ass. Yeah. He, she blasted right yeah, before it can get to die, right? Although had it got die, I don't think I would have been too depressed. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Come on. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not wishing for him to be dead, but he's really not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love having him around uh, just because of how goofy he is, I guess. Well, I, I do like this part at the end where he's like, I'm sorry I was vain yeah. and arrogant. <laughs> I believe you now. I understand all this stuff. It's uh, real. You know what I mean? Like, It's good to have, it's good to have someone to play because 
she's kind of the straight man, right? Yes. And she has this and goofy <laughs> guy who does his has zero self awareness. He's a plucky comic relief. Yeah, By accident, kind of, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> then Shangli gets thrown back against the wall, and the Crimson Lotus is there. She's in like this blue orb. And she's got, like, these tendrils around oh, her. That's weird. What are those things? Like, eels? Or are they some sort of... Does it have, like, a we face on it? We love some blue orb eels, don't we, folks? Yeah. It definitely looks like it has some sort of, like, face on it. Yeah. And so, as the rest of the monks are fighting off these blood devil creatures, she and Shangli are kind of fighting it out. She's got her antagonist speech going. Right. Oh, she says to the creature, she's like, Come to me, children. Mother has intentions for you, right? So she's like, she's assuming control of what yeah. these monsters are. And again, that double skull mouth thing is coming up behind him. And this time it's actually able to grab him and it lifts him up into the air. You're stronger now. I can see that, Shangli tells the Crimson Lotus. But we've known you were coming for years and we've been preparing. And so she's alongside these four other monks. And so remember earlier we saw her power was like golden or yellow. And so the other monks have their own powers, oh, and they kind of serious Captain Planet shit. Yeah, going on they here. make like this spectrum. One's got red, the other's orange, green, and blue. By your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. Captain Planet, he's a hero. And so the five of them together all shoot at the Crimson Lotus with their power. Yeah, so I, I'd love to know more about this. Like, what is this magic that they've been practicing? You know what I mean? They're they're part of something here, and so it's kind of like building that into the mythology a little bit. It's uh, rainbow magic. Yeah, rainbow magic. There you go. And the Crimson Lotus shoots those blue tendrils, those they're eels. Skeletons. Yeah, they look like skeletons, and they totally kill this one guy, right? Whoa. She's taking them out, and they fire back with their rainbow magic, and they destroy some of the creatures. I love the, uh, the the gradient in this second panel when they go from the orange to the blue and then they even get the little purple. Oh, yeah. Thanks for pointing that yeah. out. Again, Michelle Madsen doing some awesome color work here. And the Crimson Lotus, that skeleton thing, the double mouth monster that we've seen throughout the story, she calls it the Dark Sun. Ugh. She says, bring me the idol, Dark Sun. Nice. The monster goes over to grab it and then it bursts into flames just as it's about to get it. And there's a loud boom. Whoa. Whoa. Okay, so did Check you see this coming? Check out the reveal on this page. Did you see I it? did not see this coming there at all. There was a little, there was in the, the thing that I'm reading, there was kind of a hint. Okay, tell us about so, it. So this page right here. This oh, thing. okay. So in the trade paperback, the trade paperback on the a, chapter uh, break, yeah. there is a I image of a devil. I can clearly see Vivara's okay, demon yeah. form. And oh, so I, I, I was like, is that Vivara? Right yeah, I just thought it was maybe like a devil or something. I didn't really I didn't really put those together. Did you, Aubrey? I skipped right past it. Oh, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> when you're in the thick of it here, when you're there's so much happening. Yeah. It had totally gone out of my mind. I wasn't thinking about that anymore. But then the reveal of Vivara, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, okay, cool. It's a great reveal. I didn't actually see it coming uh, in this part of the story at all. So it's still a very good reveal. And, and, and I love this because... Everything's it, quiet all of a sudden. Yeah. Everything stops. You're in this action very beat. Creepy. There's just chaos going on. There's They're nothing. firing and shooting everything. And then all of a sudden, it's completely silent. And you just hear the creaking of this rocking horse that Vivara yeah. is sitting on. And even you can... Uh, the action is dimmed by like the dimming of the palette. 
Yeah. So everything seems yeah. quiet and still now oh, because the right. palette is so muted. Right. And I think that really helps because over here, if you go one page back, even it's so bright and there's so much happening, and then there's just right. this little creaking rocking chair and a very muted palette. And you're like, Ugh. it creeped me the fuck out. Yeah. But especially because we all, if you've been reading all of this, uh, you know, up until now, we know like Vivara and we are. She is not to be. She's a heavy with. hitter, she, you know, and so it's. Uh, I enjoyed everything about this page. It's, it's those kind of moments in a series that you really live for. Yeah, it's a sweet. It's extremely chef's kiss. Yeah, I like that. And so Vivara, she levitates the crimson lotus in the air, and this is the first time we see her look scared. Oh, you yeah, know, she always good. looks angry and like she's losing it, but now she's like she looks terrified. Aubrey was saying earlier, but I, and I I agree is the facial expressions, um, the expressiveness uh, that, yeah. that this particular artist you know puts in it. It's it's excellent storytelling. Yeah, it's good stuff. I also really enjoy the way that Mindy Lee is drawing Vivara. She, yeah. She, she does a good job in rendering her. Yeah. Vivara says, I like toys. Do you like toys? Yes, you do. You like that toy. And she points at the idol. That toy is too big for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's history and you think of the power in it, of the power it will give you, but you don't think about how to use it. You don't think about anything else because tiny one, you are only an aspirant, a witch who wants to be bigger, but is not. Just a tiny, tiny witch. The facial expression here in this panel. And I love how she, she's calling her a tiny witch yeah. when she's the one who's tiny. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but yeah. that's not what she means by tiny. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so the, uh, the expression she's making here is sincerely unsettling. Yeah, I, thank you for pointing that out because as we go down this panel... Again, the panel layout is so great as we focus in on Vivara's face and we get to this. Her face is also turning red. It's gradually, her yeah. Her eyes are turning red. And the next reveal yeah. is they just keep upping the ante for this. And do you see what I am, she asks. And so this is where we see the demon form behind her. This is one of the best versions of this that we've seen. Because we've seen, you know, as a set of Druid, we saw Alex Maleev do a version of it. We even saw Matt do a great version of it. But I love yeah. this version of Mindy that Mindy Lee did. What of... a fun moment when you're reading the script and you realize I get to draw this, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, that must be exciting. It's so cool. So I'm going to have to put all, those, all four of them side by side for our post this week. Yeah, oh yeah. Can't wait to see that. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Vavara says, go away, little witch. Go, and you won't come back to this place. And out there, be more careful with the toys you find. Be careful. And she, like, oh, closes her hand, good. and the idol just totally breaks into a million pieces. And then she opens her hand, and there's a huge blast that throws the Crimson Lotus back and destroys the top of the temple. You can really tell that the background is an animation here, because... It would be so easy to mess this up. Yeah. It's such a specific set of actions that are tied together and we can, I'm able to follow all of that. I love that. It's kind of like that moment we were talking about earlier, you know, yeah. where Shangli is pulled through the wall yes, by the Crimson yeah. Lotus's magic. You know, it just flows so well on the page. Yeah. You totally understand what's going on I love here. It. I also like how um, the beam from the top panel blends great into the beam from the second panel, even though you know the beam from the top panel is the bottom of the beam from the second panel. Oh, yeah. Panel. Yeah, you're right. But it's still... But if you look at it from the second panel up, it looks like the beam is just stretching off into into you know earth. 
Yeah, what a cool effect. Yeah, that is really nice on that panel transition there. And then remember outside, the Japanese are there in the Zeppelins, and they're like, oh no, we've got hydrogen in here. (laughs) And so they tried to turn, but it's too late. And it blows up, and then there's just this incredible image of just the Zeppelin on fire, and we see the Vivara demon form in the smoke. That is so awesome and epic. I was just like, and I just feel like she's enjoying this. You know, Vivara is enjoying this destruction. Like, this is just an added bonus that now she's blowing up this Japanese army as well. Oh, definitely. (laughs) So cool. I was just like, oh my god. What a great climax to this book. In the aftermath... I like how these people have no idea what the fuck she was talking about either. Like, what would she say? It was in Russian. I didn't catch it. Like, right. It's just... she, she asked Dai if he understood any of it. He's like, well, I know a little Russian. Something about toys and carelessness. I'm not sure my ears were ringing. <laughs> uh, they just missed all of that. It's great. Shangli says, part of me is sorry the Lotus was killed. If somehow we could have taken her into custody, interrogated her, the intelligence we might... And Dai interrupts her. The good news is, custody doesn't look like a problem, Last The bad news is, gain any answers out of her. And so the Crimson Lotus, she looks all kind of out of it, yeah, you know, in this moment. Yeah, she's not responsive to anything that anyone's saying to her or whatever. We cut over to the British military hospital where Zhao is meeting with Dai and Shangli. We're going to inject her with... Various drugs against her will and interrogate her. That seems gross. Yeah, he tells them it's hard to believe that the Crimson Lotus had all these powers because now she's completely unresponsive, shuffling in catatonia. They brought in a psychiatrist to see if it's just an act or not. And Shingli says there should be precautions in case she's faking it. The well, they, they've brought in a very gross dude who doesn't mind doing some terrible things right. to her. But <laughs> the Major says... would classify that as psychiatry. The Major says these guys know what they're doing. Zhao wants Shengli and Dai to observe the interrogate. I mean the doctor's treatment, he says. Oh. Oh. Gross. And of course, they're interested to go check it out. We see the doctor. He's got soldiers on either side of the Crimson Lotus, and he's about to inject theopentol. So sodium theopentol, also known as sodium pentothal, is a rapid onset short-acting barbiturate general anesthetic. It is used in some places as truth serum. To weaken the resolve of the subject and make them more compliant to pressure. You got to pull a little clip of that truth serum thing from the Ant-Man. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh my god, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Oh, is that truth serum? There's no such thing as truth serum. That's just nonsense from TV. Well, what is it then? It's a little concoction that he's been perfecting since his days with the SIS. It makes you suggestible and highly responsive. Well, dude, that's truth serum. No, it's not. No fencing, but... They sound like truth serum to me. Right? It's not a truth serum. Oh, okay. Hey, I believe you. It's not a truth serum. If it walk like duck and talk like ducks, the truth serum. The barbiturates as a class decrease higher cortical brain functioning and also due to the loss of inhibition produced by barbiturates. Some psychiatrists hypothesize that because lying is more complex than telling the truth, suppression of higher cortical functions may lead to uncovering the truth. The drug tends to make subjects loquacious and cooperative with interrogators. However, the reliability of confessions made under theopentol is questionable. In other words, injecting people with drugs against their will is bad. Yeah. (laughs) Don't fucking do it. Gross. 
So as they're about to inject her, we see this one panel where the smoke from the psychiatrist's cigarette, it wafts through the air, and we see the Crimson Lotus open her eyes. Outside, Zhao is leading Dai and Shangli to the room, and they see the green smoke emanating from the room. So remember that giant green hand, and when she was looking into Dai's mind, it had that green smoke element. The soldiers and the psychiatrist rush out of the room, coughing. I'm sorry, Major, the soldier says. There was nothing. It's not possible. Inside, instead of the Crimson Lotus, it's the dead body of Haircut Guy. Oh, no. Bangs. So, remember, she said, oh, you're, bangs. she said, you're not useful for now. And then he disappeared. So, she, like, did the switcheroo yeah, there. You know what I mean? We saw earlier that she was using her magic and then Shangli tried to shoot at her and the darts went right through her. So I think something like that happened here. She was really there, but then in the end she used her magic to bring back haircut guy and put him in her place. She's a slippery eel, old chums, a what? <laughs> the end. Yeah, so she got away at the end. So what? you know, I think Mark Tweedo said this on a comment on Twitter. This is a series that we really need a sequel to, right? I love these characters, Shangli and Dai, and obviously this leaves us on a little bit of a cliffhanger, right? This can't be the end of it. They have to come back and do something later, hopefully. Are they gonna is that what happens? I don't know, you know. John Arcudi, this was the last thing that he wrote, mm. you know, and he hasn't come back onto the books, and so they'd have to get somebody else to write it. But I would love to see Mindy Lee and Michelle Madsen do another story with these characters yeah. because this was so enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to see what they would have to say about uh, Tales of Lobster Johnson and Company. Yeah, I would love to see Mindy Lee and Madsen do a lobster book. We talked about that cry of the meteor yeah. or whatever earlier, you know. I'd love to see that. This would be a great team to put on that. We get a great sketchbook section here in the trade paperback version. Mindy Lee says, for the Crimson Lotus, I wanted her hair shape to be reminiscent of Mirioku's to tie the both together. The mm. little girl from issue one. Right. Lotus's current outfit was described by John Arcudi, but in the earliest stages, I missed out on that. So I did kimono designs. The collar would flare out like petals of a flower, and the patterns would feel like reflections of a lotus in water. I still like this design, she says. And I like it too. I think that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great version of the Lotus here. Just a little here. extra credit there. That's, that's not bad. Yeah, and so we get some great sketches of her versions of the Lotus and also of Rasputin. Initial takes on Rasputin were very exaggerated, she says. I had to pull back because he was not matching the style of the rest of the characters. <laughs> I wanted him to feel strange, so we didn't know what to expect from him. And I feel like in these sketches, he looks a lot like the old school Alan Moore magician she's, type. She's really laying it on with the like animation. like I... I love. I, was, I would love to see like her own, just if she had free reign to do her own book, like what she. It would yeah. probably be uh, much more exaggerated, which I think would be interesting to see. I was thinking that this this particular look of uh, Rasputin could fit kind of in that uh, Disney Atlantis world, which uh, Mignola mm. did the designs for. Oh yeah, I just watched that recently. I was watching. I was checking that out. I had never seen it. I tried to watch it once before, and I just couldn't get into it. But I watched it recently, and I thought it was really great. That was a cool cartoon. I actually enjoyed Atlantis a lot. I thought it was a fun Disney animation. I caught bits and pieces of it. I was like in and out of the room, but it seemed interesting. You were like, that looks like Sean Shin. Well, there's I, an old man. Yeah, in there. and then yeah. part of it was also like, is this is this like the animated version of like Stargate? It just seemed so much like Stargate. Okay. A lot of it did. I don't know. And um, also just another thing, is it I might be totally missing out on something, but I was 
saying just a second ago how, hey, it'd be cool if this artist had their own book. Does she have her own book? Yeah, so... Her book so, is called Bounty. Oh, her book is called Bounty. Okay, so hey, she actually does have her own project. Does she write it too, and or is she on a team with somebody? She co-created and did co-created. the art. Okay, cool. So she's maybe got a little bit uh, more of her own stylistic influences in there, and so we should check that out. I'll be checking that out. I'll yeah, that. we also get more of her concept sketches of Suriv and the idol that was featured in the story, also of the stone lion monster that we saw in the first issue. And Baolu, she talks about how she did research on the doorman of the 1930s to give him an accurate outfit. Again, that historical fiction always coming into play in these stories. Regarding Dai and Shengli, Mindy Lee says, They were both inspired by old black and white Chinese serials that would come on late at night when I was a kid. The actors in these shows had theatrical makeup and cleanly silhouetted costumes. I don't know if it was because of the black and white medium, but their image reads really left an impression. Dai is westernized, so Shengli is played more traditionally for the initial design. She is more than meets the eye, so she changes it up later on. And I like how she even includes like uh, black and white versions of them. Right, yeah. I love that she took inspiration from old Chinese serials that she watched. She also says, Harbin at nighttime was distorted reflections and shadows. Michelle's colors were magic for this scene. She made it feel like a Van Gogh painting adding so much more feeling and psychological tension. Crimson Lotus is like a cat in the night peering out from the jungle. The it's scene, an extremely high compliment. The scene felt like we were seeing them from her perspective. And so that she's referring to that moment in issue one where we saw the Crimson Lotus watching the house where Surav was with all his family. Yeah, so I like seeing all these roughs um, for the pages. And I love whenever we get like just the black and whites too, and you can really appreciate the actual pencil and inks. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also nice because like um, you can also appreciate what the colorist does bring to a story because you know colorists hardly ever get as much praise as the the initial artist. You know? Right. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. And then we also get uh, Tanchi Zanyich talking about the covers. He says. I tried to stay close as I could to the way Mindy draws them, maybe halfway between our approaches. A more realistic style on the covers has the same dangers as live adaptations of a comic where you have actors trying to portray these very expressive drawn characters. So I think that's really cool that Tanchi Zonich is like, I'm going to adjust my design, you know, uh, to kind of complement Mindy Lee a little bit more. So that way, you know, you just really get the sense that they're all working together to make this book as as much of a cohesive thing as possible, which I think is so cool to think about. And I love looking at these thumbnails of these different design covers. Like, we talk about original art all the time. I think I've mentioned this before. I would love to have this. I would love to have, like, original art of, like, concept covers or, you know. Uh, that you know, would be amazing. Yeah, just the little designs that are unused. We talked about that issue five cover and how it was mostly red with black, but he also did a version of it where it was mostly red too. And Shangli's in black, which looks really cool too. I like that one too. They're both really well done. Awesome. What a great series. I really enjoyed this. And like Aubrey said, I actually hadn't read this before. So it was really great to go through it the first time with all the book club members and everything. So yeah, what an awesome series. And I hope that we get more, from Mindy Lee and Michelle Madsen in the future. That would be great to see them do another story like Danielle said. Maybe a Lobster Johnson story or a sequel to this would be awesome. Or 
about a Liz Sherman comic? God, that is so overdue. I mean, we have gotten miniseries for so many of the different characters. We're going to be doing Rasputin's miniseries next week. We really need a Liz Sherman one. I think that that is long overdue. It would be great to have both of them do something like that. I totally agree, Aubrey. What a great idea. That was a great story. And next week we'll be talking about another miniseries that I've been excited to get to. And don't forget to check out our fundraiser. You know, we've got all these great prizes being added and it goes to a really great cause so make sure to check out our social media check out our pin post on facebook and twitter and our link tree on instagram so you can get in on the prizes and donate your money to a very worthy cause and now aubrey's gonna say all the things all right everybody that was the crimson lotus we really enjoyed that story and we want to hear from you you can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboy book club at gmail.com follow us on facebook at hellboy book club podcast and on instagram and twitter at hellboy book club you can also find all of our resources on our facebook about section and our podbean website as always a special thank you to paul from Gardaharn for this lovely theme music thank you paul Thank you to Mark Trudell for helping John with the reading order to keep this thing flowing like water. Uh, <laughs> thank you, John, for making the editing so we all sound wonderful. And thank you, thank you, Book Club listeners, for listening. For friendship. Yeah. Friendship. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you're like, you know, listening and you can open the app and just rate us and leave a review right there, you know, you can do it from your phone. Next week, we are reading... Rasputin, the voice of the dragons, issues one and two. So you know what to do. Open up them back issues. Get that trade. Download the digital. Check it out from the library. On the digital library. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, I like toys. Do you like toys? Peace. <laughs> <laughs> 